Well, good morning. Welcome. We have our announcements. So on Wednesdays, we feed the homeless. We go out. Um, we work with a church in Denver, His Love Fellowship. Um, they have a food bank, and out of that food bank, we take reusable grocery bags, and we go out and um, meet the homeless in their camps, um, bring them some food, and really it's a time to and, and prayer with them and get to know them and um, hopefully if they don't already know Jesus, which many of them do, lead them to Jesus. So we do that on Wednesdays, every Wednesdays, every Wednesday. Um, we're usually up at the church at night in Calumeth about 1.30. So if you want to go, that's always an option. The next women's study is Thursday, April 6th at 6 p.m., here. The next men's study is this Saturday, April 1st, at Starbucks at Parker and Hess. Normally it's at 9, but we have services for Shannon's brother. So it's going to be at 7.30. Um, plus, Joey had a conflict. So we moved it up to 7.30 in the morning. So it's going to be early for a Saturday. <laughs> but it's been a good study. It's been a great book to go through. And the next youth night is Thursday, March 30th, here at the house, 6 o'clock. Um, and then last, um, you can sign up for email updates once a week. Just send out an email kind of with everything that's going on. Um, or you can look it up on the website, thechurchne.org. Um, there's a calendar on there, and the calendar's usually pretty much up to date. So like already on the calendar, the men's Bible study time already has changed to 7.30. So if you looked it up on the website, you would see that there. So that's kind of our announcements. Um, with that, let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for this time to come together to learn more about you, learn more about you, Jesus, um, the ways that you... Um, Lead us and guide us the ways that your spirit uh, walks us through this life. I just ask that you would speak to each of our hearts. You know what each one of us is going through. You'd meet us right where we're at. You would lead us and guide us through this study. That your words would be spoken here this morning, not mine. You would um, just watch over each one of us. That you would protect us. That you would keep us safe, um, not only physically, but spiritually. Don't let the enemy deceive us or lie to us or misguide us. I ask that you would... Just watch over us. Meet us right where we're at, Lord. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray all these things. Amen. So, it is March 26th. So that means that it was one year ago today. Well, actually, the 27th that we started our home study. So, this is our one-year anniversary. Um, <laughs> it is. <laughs> and so, it was... On my heart, I don't know, beginning of March of last year, that we needed to do something, and me and Shan talked about it and agreed somewhat that this is what we would do. Um, so here we are a year later. Um, I got saved about 11 years ago, and about three years after getting saved, God puts it on my heart. Um, just listened to a Bible study 
Matt, that'll be you someday. And I thought, no, I don't think so. I can't speak. I'm not a public speaker. I can't read out loud. I don't know the Bible very well at all kinds of reasons. And over the course of the next eight years, we kind of knocked out all of those reasons one by one. At work, I started doing more public speaking um, and do a lot more of it now these days for work. Um, I'm able to read out loud. He put it on my heart to, in my quiet time with him, when I'm reading through the Word, just to read out loud. And that really helped. I struggled with reading all through school. Um, so to be able to read out loud is, is a work only that he could do. Um, and then just understanding his Word only can come from him. So, so one by one, he kind of knocked all those out. And, and here we are today, um, which if you would have asked me and Shannon, I don't know, any point, especially early on in our marriage, that we would be here, we would have told you there's no possible way. So, But here we are. And so we are going through Hebrews. We last year went through the book of Romans, and now we're going through Hebrews. Our first study through in Hebrews was last week. This will be our second study, but where we're going to start today is we're going to take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And this is really, I think, a kind of a critical verse. I find a lot of significance and importance to the Bible. I don't think there's a, a scenario that I can go through in my life that God hasn't already explained to me in his work. God already hasn't made clear right here. And um, this is an important, these are some important verses. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. A lot of times I read out of the New Living Translation, so it's up on the screen. And if I switch to another translation, I'll make sure to let you know and to let you know the reason why. I'd like to make sure that we stay as close to the original text as possible. So if the New Living Translation isn't quite in line with the, the original text, but the New King James Version is, then we'll, we'll switch to that. We'll do that today, and I'll explain why. But 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So that's important. The important word here in verse 16 is the word all. And that word all, when you look it up in the Greek, the New Testament is written originally in Greek. That word all is translated the whole. So not just all like each individual verse, but the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. When I look at it as a whole, it's meant to teach me what is right in my life, what is wrong in my life, what needs corrected, what needs changed, what is um, God's character. When I look at the whole Bible, not just part of it. So that's important. And God uses the Bible. God uses his word, the scripture to equip his people, his believers. That's us. To do every good work. And that's important. That's going to be into our study today. The other verse that we're also going to look at that's going to be important into our study today is in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Um, and what this says is, Above all, 
you must realize that no prophecy in the scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from hum human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. So all prophecy, anything that was prophetic, that was speaking of the Messiah to come or an event that would come, um, never came from the author or the human initiative or the, or the author's own understanding. The author didn't write it down. It was all through God. The Holy Spirit inspired all of that. Um, so that's important because we're going to look at some prophetic things here as we get a little deeper into Hebrews chapter 1. So with those, with the context of those in mind, we'll continue our study in Hebrews. And, and last week we made it through Hebrews verses 1 through 3. Um, this week, God willing, we'll finish the chapter. We'll start here in verse 4. So Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4. So this shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name of the name God gave him is greater than their names. So when he says this shows, that asks us to go back and look at what does this show and what is he speaking of? But what he's speaking of in the first three verses, what we went over last week, is that Jesus created everything. So when we looked at that, we went back to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and looked at those first five verses. And in the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. Light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. And the important part there was the word is referring to Jesus, and that Jesus created everything. And that's what the first three verses of Hebrews told us, that Jesus created everything. We read that again in John. And then we went back to Genesis chapter 1, where it talked about creation. And we read through creation and what that is. And that was Jesus speaking it into existence. Jesus said, let there be light, and there was light. And I don't think there's any coincidence at all that John relates Jesus to the Word, um, and that his words, Jesus' words, were very powerful and able to speak things into existence. He spoke light into existence. He separated the land from the sea. He spoke that. Um, he created the animals, the birds in the sky, the animals on the ground, the fish in the sea. He spoke all these things into existence. But then we read that when we got to him creating man, he says, let us create them in our own image. And I think that is the, the, whole, the, the whole trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, creating men in their own image. Um, and how did they create men? They used the dust of the ground to create Adam, right? So they formed and shaped Adam. So while Jesus spoke the rest of creation into existence, he took his time to especially create man. And then when he created woman, what did he do? He took the rib from the man and used it to create woman. Again, with his hands. Well, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I think the reason for that is, again, God loves us so much. We're his, his 
special possession, his prized, his pride and joy that um, God loves us so much that he had lots of great detail in creating the universe. There's lots of details that our, our simple minds will probably never understand. But then he made sure to explain to us that he took extra care when he created us, that he loves us that much. And that he loves us so much that we should um, should just speak to us and we love him the same, that we're willing to serve him this agape love, this self-sacrificing love. So that's kind of what we went over. And we learned in, in verse 3 that Jesus holds everything together. Um, so we went over that last week. So that's what verse 4 is saying, that this shows that the Son is far greater than the angels. So Jesus creating everything, Jesus holding all of creation together um, makes him far greater than the angels. So that's what the, the rest of chapter 1 is going to be about, um, comparing Jesus to the angels. And really the book of Hebrews is a great book because we get to take a look, a deeper look at who Jesus is. Jesus is, is our everything. Um, Jesus is our sustainer. He's what holds us together. He's our creator. But he's also what um, he's also our comforter. He's also our when I'm sad or or depressed. He's the one that I can go to. He understands. He gets me because he's lived this life here on earth, but he lived it perfectly. Um, so I can always look to him for an example, and that's what we're going to get to do today. So we'll start here, Hebrews chapter one. Um, we started in verse four. This shows that the Son is far greater than the angels, just as the name God gave him is greater than their names. For God never said to any angel what he said to Jesus, You are my son. Today I have become your father. God also said, I will be his father and he will be my son. So a lot of times when we when the author is, is taking us back to the Old Testament, we'll go back and, and look at that in context. But here in the remainder of this chapter, that happens quite a few times. So what we are going to do is we won't necessarily go back and, and read it all in context, but we will talk about um, what is the context of that and, and what was being spoken there. So this first one, this first quote, um, you are my son, today I have become your father. That's found in Psalm 2, verse 7. And it was written by David. Um, God brought Jesus into the world through the line of David. So a lot of David's psalms, a lot of his writings were prophetic, were uh, a foretelling of Jesus to come. And, and they're also known as messianic psalms, they're pointing to the Messiah to come. So the Jews would have understood that also, that, that not only is this meaningful to them at the time, they had a meaning to it, but it also had a prophetic meaning uh, uh, pointing to the Messiah, their Messiah to come which was Jesus. Um, and then the second one here, which is, I will be his father and he will be my son. That comes from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14. And God is speaking to Nathan the prophet. Um, and he's speaking to Nathan the prophet, giving him a message for King David at the time. And it's about David's line being an eternal line, um, which speaks again to the Messiah coming through the line of David. You look at the family tree and Jesus is in David's family tree and that's the eternal kingdom. Jesus' kingdom is eternal. It will never end. Um, and it's 
also point us to the end time events. Both of these, these areas of scripture had a meaning at the time for the Jews, but also had a future meaning. And a lot of, a lot of the Psalms had that, and a lot of, uh, especially the Messianic Psalms. They would mean something to them at the time, and, and we'll get to look at a few more of those. So when we look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, And when he brought his supreme son into the world, God said, Let all of God's angels worship him. Regarding the angels, he said, He sends his angel like the wind, his servants like flames of fire. So the first one here is let all God's angels worship him. And that is found in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 43. And this is near the end of Moses' life. Um, and this is what is known as the Song of Moses. And Moses is at the end of his life. Um, he's kind of passed the torch on to Joshua at this time and is getting ready to go up to the mountain. And this is the, the song that he gives Israel. And in this song, he says, let all of God's angels worship him. Again, speaking about the Messiah. Um, this is always God's plan. That God knew that sin would enter into the world. And that after that sin entered into the world, his plan was he would send his son to take away that sin. Be, our, be the sacrifice for us for that sin. That was always God's plan. And, and we can see that all throughout the Old Testament. So the, the Old Testament, beginning in Genesis all the way through Revelation, it all points to Jesus. And that's the significance of this book, the book of Hebrews. We're going to take a look, deeper look at who Jesus is. This author of Hebrews is going to compare Jesus to, to different things that the, the Jews would have struggled with. Um, was Jesus really greater than the angels? Was Jesus really greater than Moses or some of the other Old Testament um, prophets? So then the second verse is, he, ascends, he sends his angels like the winds, his servants like flames of fire. That's found in Psalm 104, verse 4. Um, the author of, of that psalm is unknown, but he's talking about what the angel's job is. So he sends the angels um, like the winds or his servants like flames of fire. Um, so he's comparing and contrasting Jesus who created everything and the, the angels who are, are servants and some of their roles. Um, we'll continue on here. Hebrews Chapter 1, verse 8. But to the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. So here we're reading out of the New King James. And the reason for that is that word righteousness. Um, in the New Living Translation, it's translated justice. I think there's a little difference there. When we're talking about righteousness, we're talking about right living with God. We're talking about beforehand. When we're talking about justice, we're talking about after the fact, retrospective. Um, and so Jesus' scepter is righteousness. Jesus is leading us to right living, right, beforehand, not, um, not a scepter of judgment after, after the fact, not after we've made the mistake or after we've sinned and there's judgment to take place. No, no, Jesus is leading us. God leads us in righteousness and right living. And it's our choice to follow him or not. And we have those choices all throughout our life and all throughout our week and our month and our day. Are we going to walk with God and what he's leaded us, led us to do? Or are we going to 
walk away from him. And there's only one. I'm either walking with God or I'm walking away, right? It's very linear. I'm a very black and white thinker. That makes a lot of sense to me. But I'm either walking with God or I'm walking away from him. There's no gray area where I'm, I'm a good person. I'm okay. I can do this. Uh, I'm walking with God or I'm walking away from him. The Bible says I'm either walking with God or I'm God's enemy, right? There is no in-between, no neutral ground. So I think that's important. And again, in verse verse 9, the word righteousness is used, or in the New Living Translation, it's the word um, justice. And again, I'm trying to stay as true to the, the original text as possible. We're going to read it out of the New King James. So, verse 9, You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. So both these two verses are found in Psalm 45, verse 6 and 7. This psalm was written by the sons of Korah, and it was written um, to the king on the occasion of his wedding. So this was an actual event that they're writing it for, but it also spoke prophetically of the Messiah to come. And it it relates a lot um, to the aspect of Jesus and his bride, the church. So, not only did this have a meaning for the Jews at the time, that this um, king is going to lead um, in right living, that God is with you, has anointed you. Um, this is written for the king. When we look at more of the context of, of Psalm 45 for the king on his wedding day, it's the same as Jesus. Jesus is our king and that he leads the church. That's the whole church, the whole Christian church, every church that's following Jesus, Jesus should be the head of. And if he's not the head of, then it's not really a Christian church that he should lead and guide. And that this wedding um, that is taking this wedding that's taking place here in Psalm 45 also is a meaning of Jesus being joined to his bride, the church. And that's what the church is known as, is the bride of Christ. Um, so, and again, Jesus leads us in righteous living, in right living. Um, and that's how his scepter is viewed in this time. Not as retrospective, not after the fact, not in judgment. We're told in that Jesus came into the world to save the world, not to judge the world. His time of judging the world will come. But that's not where we're at right now. He came to save all those who are lost, all those who don't know him, who don't believe that he is the Messiah. That's what he came for. So, continuing on here, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 10. He also says to the Son, In the beginning, Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. They will perish, but you remain forever. They will wear out like old clothing. You will fold them up like a cloak and discard them like old clothing. But you are always the same. You will live forever. So this is found in Psalm 102, verses 25 to 27. Um, the psalm has an unknown author. Um, and this psalm was written, it's a, a prayer of someone that's in distress. Um, and they're bringing their troubles before the Lord. And in bringing their troubles before the Lord, they're also recognizing the mighty God. 
And, and again, all these prophetic things that are being spoken wasn't the author themselves that came up with this. We read that it was the Holy Spirit that led the author to write this down. So this is important. And we went over this last week that Jesus laid the foundations of the earth, that he made the heavens and the earth. Everything that was made, that is made, was made by Jesus, including us right here in this room. He made us, right? So we learned that. But here it goes in to explain that the heavens and earth will perish, but you, God, will remain forever. So the heavens and earth will perish. So with that, I want to take a little detour and look at a couple other verses that are going to also talk about that. One is Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, where it talks about the heavens and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. So the heavens and earth will disappear, but Jesus' words will never disappear. What he said is true for all eternity, right? And the other place that we'll look at, and these aren't the only places that talk about the heavens and earth disappearing, but we do want to, to talk through this, is in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 and 2. So John, who writes the book of Revelation, is the one speaking here, and he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was gone also. Then, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. So, again, here we read that there was a new heaven and a new earth because the old one had disappeared. These aren't the only verses that talk about this, but the, the earth that we have here in the heaven, God is making it very clear that these are temporary, that they will disappear, that he will remove them. He'll fold them up like an old cloak, and he has a new heaven and a new earth for us. And if you're wondering why, I think the best explanation to why that is, is that this earth has been covered in sin, right? You can see sin all throughout our world, all throughout our community, all throughout the world at large. And then God is going to cleanse that by removing it and creating a new, right? A lot like us. We're told that when we get to heaven, we get a new name. Well, why would we get a new name? Because our old name may be associated with things that are sinful, but that's no longer who we are. Our new lives in God, our new lives when we're in paradise with him for all of eternity, that's not who we, that may have been who we were, but our new lives are a new creation. We're a new creation with a new name. And I'd say to you, it's the same with this heaven and this earth that we see now, that it's covered with sin, that it's been tainted, and that God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And that gives me lots of hope. Lots of hope for, for to not get caught up in the moment of, oh, how awful this is, how awful this world we're living in is. No, no, God has a plan, and he knows how bad this is. He knows how awful this is, but he's not going to leave it where it's at. He's going to remove it and create a new heaven and a new earth. Just like in us, when we choose to live our lives, our sinful lives, and we come to the point where we realize that we need a Savior, and we find that Savior in Jesus Christ. We have a new life, right? He removes who we were, and He begins to make us new. And so our old lives don't define us. Um, I can remember living neck deep in sin um, before I became a Christian and thinking, this is not who I am. 
you know, these things are doing, this isn't who I am. And, and just really wrestling with that. And, and that was true. That is not who I was. That's not who God created me to be. That's who I chose to be. That's who I chose to walk in, the life I chose to live. Um, but that's not what, how God created me. Remember, Jesus created me with a plan and a purpose. And that plan and purpose was not to live that sinful life. And when I reached out to him and him alone, was I rescued, which blew me away. This God I wanted nothing to do with was willing to rescue me, to save me, when I did nothing to deserve it. And that's how it is. That's how our relationship with Jesus always is. That we've done nothing to deserve any of this. He's done all the work. He went to the cross for us. While we were still sinners, he died for us. He loves us that much that we could be made new. In our, our deepest, darkest hour, we could reach out to him and he would answer. He would receive us just as we are. The mess that we are, the dirty that we are, he would receive us and clean us up. And that's what I love. And that's a lot of what this new heaven and new earth speaks of to me. Is it reminds me of this new life that I have, this new life I have in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. Now, I'm not perfect by any means. I still sin. But if I look at my life before becoming a believer and after becoming a believer, I sin a whole lot less. Um, and I can even say that as the years go on, I see less and less sin. But still there is that sin. And I think we'll wrestle with that and struggle with that all throughout our lives. We read how Paul talks about that, that. Why do I do the things I hate? And as he's writing this, I would say to you, he's not an immature believer. He's a very mature believer. He's well on in years and is walking with Jesus. He's written a lot of the New Testament by that point, and he still struggles with sin. So it's still something we're going to wrestle with, always on this side of eternity. But there's always hope. There's hope in, in the name of Jesus, that Jesus can lead us out of that temptation. And we'll get to that here in a minute. But we'll go back and we'll finish up chapter 1, these last two verses of Hebrews. So Hebrews chapter 1, verse 13. And God never said to any of the angels, Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. Therefore the angels are only servants, spirits, sent to care for people who will inherit salvation. So this comes from Psalm 110, verse 1. This is a Psalm of David. You know, the, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So this is God, the Father, saying to the Son, come sit in the place of honor. The, David's writing it, and the Lord, God, the Father, said to his Lord, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son, sit in the place of honor. So the author of Hebrews is making it very clear. God didn't say that to anyone else except for the Son. He definitely didn't say that to the angels, right? He's making a contrast in these verses we've gone over, contrasting Jesus' life to, to the angels' life and their roles. And there is a stark and great contrast. Jesus is God. There's no mistaking that. And the angels are not. The angels are servant spirits uh, sent to care for people who inherit salvation. So if we learn something about angels, and I was tempted to, to continue on the study, but we're going to go in a different direction for the last part of the study. But I was tempted to go and, and take a look at what are the angels. But here we get to see that the angels care for people who will inherit salvation. So the angels care for believers, right? 
those who will inherit salvation. We learn that out of the text. Some other things that we learn about angels from the Bible is we never see an angel that's spoken in the female form. They're always in the male form. So I'm led to believe that angels are male. I'm also led to believe that this hallmark idea of an angel is not quite true. That every time they appear in the Bible, the angel usually says, don't be afraid. Well, then the people are probably usually afraid of what they're seeing because they're probably not the, the cute hallmark angels that you see um, on commercials. They're mighty giant beings, and they probably are fierce and intimidating looking, right? And so when the angel appears to someone and we get to read through that um, all throughout God's word, one of the things, the first things they say is do not be afraid. So I don't think that they're cute little angels. Um, so it just, like I said, I didn't want to go deep into it, but just a few quick observations on angels and their roles and what the Bible says. Because the, the point of this is not to, to look at the angels' roles. The point of this is to look at Jesus' role. And the, look at Jesus' role as, as being much higher than anyone else, right? Jesus' role is much higher than the angels' role. That's the contrast of it. Um, so, with that, that's where we end Hebrews. But there's something else that was on my heart to talk through for the rest of our study. And the, the rest of our study will be in Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Um, and this is, okay, so why, why would you study all through the Bible? What's the point in that? And I think the point in that came out in our men's study yesterday, and it's, it's found here in, in Luke chapter 11. But the point of studying all throughout the Bible is that God wrote it for a reason, and that that reason is to lead us, to guide us to what's right in life, for doctrine, for how should we live our life, right? We, we learned that in the beginning of this study. So God has a plan for everything in the Bible. And he didn't just write things just to write them. There's an intent for it. So I think the intent of, of why the author of Hebrews here in, in chapter 1 compares the, the angels to Jesus to the angels is that there were probably some people that were struggling um, on a spiritual level with a, with is Jesus really greater than the angels? Or, or maybe there was some struggle with worshiping of angels or, or worshiping of angelic beings or worshiping of, of something that wasn't Jesus, right? And while that may not be something that we struggle with in our culture necessarily, um, I think you do see some of that still. And Jesus and God's going to compare um, Jesus to a lot of the things that would have been struggled with then. But even now, God is making it clear to us that Jesus is far greater than the angels, and there's a reason for that. And I think that, came, like I said, came out yesterday in the men's study. So in the men's study, we're reading through the book, um, Radical Prayer by Manny Mill. And it sounds like, oh, I'm praying for these great big things. But the word radical, when you look at the definition, means getting back to the root. So it's not kind of what we think it is. I think when we hear the term radical, we think of something great and big. But the author makes it very clear. The word radical means getting back to the root. We're getting back to the root. And, and all throughout the book, this book, Radical Prayer, he evaluates his life. He looks at his life, and he was a pastor, and he realized that his walk with God is not what it should have been. And he's, he's a man that's called to lead others to God, and he's struggling with that. So he realizes that, and he turns to God for help, and he explains that throughout his book. But one of the things he struggled with was his prayer life. 
that his prayer life with God is what not what it should have been. And then the other thing was how the importance of getting into the word, that, that God's word was going to lead him and guide him through his life. So it's not this radical prayer of I'm just praying for big things. While, yes, he may have prayed for big things, but the, the foundation of what he's talking about is getting back to the basics. Do I spend time regularly with God? Am I spending time in his word regularly? And he explains what the importance is. And the importance is, is here found in Luke. So Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1, these first four verses are, are what's known as, as the Lord's Prayer. And so we'll go through that. So now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, When you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who has, who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So here we're reading again out of the New King James Version, and that's because this is a lot closer to the original text. And I think it's very important that we, we read as close to the original text as possible. Um, but so here we have his disciples that are coming to him saying, Jesus, teach us to pray. And while these men knew the prayer, you know, knew the tradition of prayer, I think what they were asking Jesus was, Jesus, you've led this life. And, and it's very interesting how the verse starts. Now it came to pass as he, speaking of Jesus, was praying in a certain place. So Jesus was known all throughout his ministry to go away and pray, to spend time, his quiet time with God, to go see God. He would go out all night and, and be in prayer with God, in communication with God the Father. And I think that's what the disciples are asking. Jesus, teach us to have that relationship with you. Like we see, um, teach us to have that relationship with the Father like we see you have with the Father. He's led by example, right? And so he teaches them the first thing is, hallowed be your name. And this all comes from our study yesterday. But the honoring of God's name, that's the first thing. And that everything after that is meant to honor God's name that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that speaks of the end times events. That when the new heaven and the new earth comes, that that brings glory to God, that we can trust in God for that. Um, and that give us day by day our daily bread, that you're realizing that everything that we have here on this earth comes from God. It's not um, a certain percent of it is God's. My paycheck, it's not a certain percent is God's and, and a certain percent is mine. No, it's all God's. Everything I have is really God's. Um, and I'm just asking him to provide for us day by day. And that when I do that, when I recognize everything comes from God and I rely on him for my daily bread, that I'm bringing glory to him. When I ask for forgiveness for my sins, I'm bringing glory to him. I'm realizing that he is God, that I need him. And that when I forgive others, we're bringing glory to God, right? <laughs> we're honoring God's name. That when I have someone who's wronged me, and not only can I forgive them, but I'm told that I'm supposed to love my enemies, that I can love them. And the best way I've ever heard that explained is I'm at a gathering, and one of my friends walks in, 
And what do I do? I go up and I give them a hug. I'm glad to see them. I shake their hand. I smile. And now my enemy has walked in. And what do I do? And I think a lot of times we think, well, if I just don't, if I avoid them and I don't say anything bad, I'm being nice. I'm being loving. That's not what the Bible's saying. The Bible's saying to love them, to, to die myself, pick up my cross, follow Jesus, love my enemies. So I should treat them the same way, right? If I love my friend and I'm supposed to love my enemy, when my enemy walks into a gathering, I should go up and hug them and greet them and be excited to see them. And that's not easy to do. And I would say apart from God, that's impossible to do. So again, when I'm able to do that, what am I doing? That enemy is going to think, we've had this conflict, whatever it is, and now this person's been very nice to me when they shouldn't be. And the only explanation is my relationship with Jesus, right? But when I do that, when I treat my enemies, when I forgive them and I love them, am I pointing them to Jesus? Maybe not specifically with my words, but my actions are. And that's how we get to see Jesus led his life. He led his life by example. He led his life always in prayer. And the disciples wanted that. They want to follow in that example. And we should too. So when we forgive others, we're bringing glory to God. Um, and then we're asking God to lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from that. We're realizing that apart from God, there's no sin I'm not capable of, right? But with God... He can lead me through all of that. God always shows us a way of escape from our sin. So that's how this section starts off. Jesus is explaining um, prayer. But then we got into it. He explains in a, in a parable the next part. He goes right into this next part. And parables are stories, and the stories are meant to teach a lesson. And we've been over this, that um, when he taught in parables, we can just quickly read the story and make a quick judgment on God's character, on what God's trying to tell us. But oftentimes we're going to make the wrong judgment. And the reason that Jesus taught in parables is it gives us a chance to look deeper into it, to spend more time in his word. Where else does it say this? Or, or how can I understand this better? To ask God, to go to God in prayer. Ask God, can you help me understand this? And he does, and he will. And when I dig deeper into his word, I get a better understanding, especially through the parables. So he just taught the disciples how to pray. Um, and then he goes right into this parable. And it's Luke chapter 11, verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend? And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut. My children are in bed. I cannot raise and give to you. I say to you that he will not rise and give to him because he is your friend. Yet, because of his persistence, he will rise and give him many, give him as many as he needs. So we've heard this story that this friend as a friend that's come into town and he goes to another friend's house and asks him for three loaves because he doesn't have any. And the, the friend says, no, I'm, all my children are in bed. The door's closed for the night. I can't help you. And so this, in this story, Jesus tells right after he teaches them to pray, he goes right into this. And we'll go back to the explanation of this, but we'll keep reading. Through Luke. So Luke chapter 11, verse 9. So I say to you 
Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find it. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Then he goes on to say in verse 11, If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you, then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So now that I've looked at all of that in context, when I go back to the parable, this is the explanation. That the person is, is, is me, and that I've had a friend come to me. And it's no mistaking that we read in John that Jesus is the Word. John chapter 1 related to that. But John chapter 6 makes it very clear that Jesus is the bread of life. Right? So Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the word, right? His word has life. Jesus' life gives life to us, if that makes sense. Um, and here, the, the friend goes to another friend, who I would say to you is God, is the, the example of God, and asking for these three loaves of bread. And, and the, God says to the, the man, no, my children are here. They're in the house. Um, I can't, can't help you now. And that sounds harsh, right? So if I just read that with that context and I'm thinking that I'm the person that's going to ask for the three loaves of bread, I have a friend come to me, and I've gone to God, and God doesn't answer my prayer, right? That sounds harsh. Why would God do that? And I would say to you that when the person that comes to you that is asking is have a trouble in their life, and that's what this is relating to, they have trouble in their life, and the bread that I'm to give them is Jesus. I'm to point them to Jesus. I'm to give them Jesus' word. But if I haven't spent time in Jesus' word or time in prayer with God regularly throughout my life, I'm not prepared for this situation, right? So when I go to God, I've spent no time with God in the word. I've no time in prayer with God. I've just lived my life for years and years. And yes, I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian, right? I believe in Jesus. I believe that he's the son of God, that he died for my sins. And because of that, he rose from the dead. He lived a sinless life, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and seated at the right hand of God. I believe all that. I am saved, and, and my heart has changed. I live a different life. But I can live this different life and not get into God's Word and not spend time with God. And now I've had a friend come to me, and he's got something going on in his life. Maybe he's thinking about getting divorced or um, some other event is going on in his life, and he, he's looking to me for advice. Well, the world's already given him plenty of advice, right? Well, I have no advice to give him other than what the world would say. And what does the world say to that? Well, if, you're, if it makes you happy, do it. And that's um, not what the Bible says. But I haven't spent time in God's Word. So now friends come to me, and I, okay, I, I don't have this relationship with God, but I'm going to quickly go to God. God, tell me what to say to him. And God says, no, I've already got my kids in in the room for the night, in the house for the night, and the door is shut, I can't help you. Now, God is going to help this person, but God isn't going to work through me to do it because I didn't put the legwork in ahead of time, is what this is saying. And it's very interesting that you have this parable right after he teaches on prayer. So he teaches on the importance of prayer. 
He teaches on going to, to God for this bread, the bread of life, which is Jesus, which is also the Word. So when I've spent time in the Word and I've spent time in prayer with God, I have close fellowship with God, and my friend comes to me, and he's struggling with whatever it is, addiction, whatever the, the struggle is, what can I do? Now that I've spent time with God and in his word, I can lead him to Jesus, number one. And when I lead him to Jesus, I can lead him to the word. What does God's word say about this situation? Now I've prepared myself. And that's what, that's what this parable is really speaking of. That I need to put that time in, in God's word and in prayer, have that relationship with God so that when others come to me in need, I can point them to the bread of life, which is Jesus, his life, which is the word of God. That makes sense. Makes sense in that context. So when we're questioning, well, why would we go through a chapter and verse, the whole Bible? Because the whole Bible is relevant, and the whole Bible points to Jesus. The whole Bible speaks of many events all throughout my life. There's not an event that I'm going to go through in life that the Bible isn't already going to explain to me as how to handle it. So when I spend time in God's word and I spend time in fellowship with God, in relationship with God, talking to God, praying to God, asking him to help me understand and explain to me when I've put that in, when someone comes to me, what can I do? I'm already prepared. God, please help me to explain to this person what you want me to explain. And point me in the right direction and the Holy Spirit will. The Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you. Matt, remember where it says this in the Bible and this is what they're struggling with. Remember where it says this and this is what they're struggling with. Or they're trying to rationalize sin, but Jesus said this, you know, they're trying to rationalize their anger. It's okay for them to be angry with this group of people or this person. But remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, if you have anger in your heart, you've already murdered that person. While you may not have committed murder, you've already done it in your heart. You're already guilty of that sin. So you can point them to what does Jesus say. And it's not watered down and it's not what the world says, but it's what did Jesus say. And that's the importance. So when we go through chapter and verse, this is why. We want to learn all of what the Bible has to say, all about Jesus, so that we're prepared for every situation in life. When people come to us in need, when they're struggling with a relationship that they shouldn't be in, where can we point them? We can point them to Jesus, right? So, so that's the, the context of it. That's what we went over yesterday, and it was, just, it was exciting. So that is where we end our study today. Do you have any questions? No? <laughs> if Candy was here, she would have some questions. She would have a lot of questions. And if I misspoke, I do confuse, mix up my words fairly often. So if I did that, it doesn't bother me. Ask me, did you really mean this? This is what you said. Is that what you really meant? It doesn't bother me at all. So, But that's where our study ends. And it's hopefully an encouragement to, to get into God's Word regularly, to spend time with God regularly. So we are prepared. This world is... A mess. I think we could easily say that this world's a mess and there's lots of people that are hurting and looking for direction. And are we equipped? God's word we read in the very beginning of our study equips us for this. And are we equipped? Have we put on all of God's armor? Are we ready to go out and help those in need? And not through our own understanding, through God's understanding. We read that we go to God and that he is going to lead us and guide us into what we're to speak into those people's lives. But have we done the legwork to be prepared for it? That's the important thing. So, so if that's no questions, that's where we'll end. Sing one more song. <laughs>